0: I don't know what what the Lord is going to do today, but um, with uh, that singing and um, the God we're worshiping, with the truths that those songs talked about and the things that they stir up in our hearts, and uh, that goes right along with really what the Lord was um, uh, putting heavily on me this morning in prayer, I have a great sense of expectation I don't know what the Lord is going to do today but uh, I think it's going to be something big and um, so let's uh, let's all go to the Lord together in prayer and ask him to uh, to do that to do that work in our hearts father we uh, come to you this morning and uh, we can only come to you because of what we will talk about today because of Christ taking um, our place on the cross taking our punishment because of that, because of the things that we're going to talk about, because we have been made right with you, we who are in Christ, and we have been made right with you because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross. We can come into your presence and we ask this morning, Lord, that you would do a great work. I don't know what that is. I I don't know what that is, but I ask that you would do a mighty work. I ask that we would not be distracted by uh, whatever, uh, whatever things in our minds or in our hearts or in our lives uh, would distract us. I pray that we would not be distracted. I pray that we would be right here, right now, that we would be engaged with your word, engaged with what you have to say to us, and that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that you would um, move in us, open our hearts to you. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would would do business with us, that You would work in our hearts to draw us closer to Yourself, that we would understand, that we would think about the cross and understand what it means for us, the amazing truths that are wrapped up, the the miracles, the many miracles that are wrapped up in the cross. Lord, this is Your time and we are Your people. And this is Your family and this is Your Word and we pray that you, by your Spirit, would work in us even now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's a special day for me. My, my kids reminded me today that that uh, it was uh, 24 years ago on Palm Sunday, the first time I ever set foot in Parkside. And so it's, it's uh, powerful to me. I remember being completely confused. <laughs> I had no idea. I did not grow up in church. I had no idea what was going on. And the message that day was on Palm Sunday. And of course, Palm Sunday is, you know, Jesus' triumphal entry and the people laying down the palm branches and yelling, Hosanna. And I thought, what does Hosanna mean? Is that somebody's name? I, I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know Aramaic, <laughs> you know. I still don't know Aramaic. But I had no idea what that meant. And uh, it was totally confusing to me. But uh, the message was powerful. And I remember John Duncan standing right here preaching that message, and uh, I sat right there. I remember it very clearly. And the Lord began to work in my heart. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to spend some time there. And then, uh, as you can see later on, we're going to hit quite a few other passages. And usually, I like to stay in one spot. I know I've kind of been uh Woody and I both have kind of been breaking that, that rule that we've kind of set for ourselves. We like to camp in one spot. We like to focus on one thing. We like to uh, stay in one passage and be guided that way. This series that we've been working on, though, has been a series, of, a series about uh, essential elements of the gospel. We've called it Gospel Essentials. And, and uh, so we've looked at various passages. Well, you kind of want to talk about that whole theme, and you end up bringing in a lot more passages. And that's what's going to happen with us today. But... Um, we've been talking about essentials of the gospel and and things that are crucial for us to remember. And so we've looked at hell and judgment. That's not an easy topic to look at, but it's a crucial one, and it's one Jesus spent quite a bit of time talking about. And so we looked at hell and judgment. We looked at eternal life. We looked at repentance, and we looked at faith, and we talked about what those things mean. We talked about the kingdom of God talked about the authority of Christ. We've been talking about these things that are essential to understanding what the gospel is. Uh, things that Jesus focused on when he was teaching uh, while he was walking around on this earth. The things that were important to him. And we tried to focus on those things and key in on them. And, and so we looked at what it means to be united with Christ. And we looked at God's heart for the lost. And we talked about that. We talked about what this salvation really is and what he offers uh, in salvation. Uh, offering to the lost, and so today we're going to take another look uh, at what is probably the central, like the linchpin piece of the whole thing, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, all of those other things are just empty promises that can't be brought to fruition if the cross doesn't happen. And so it's crucial for us to look at the crucifixion. And so we're we're going to do that today. If you've read the gospels, you've flipped through the gospels, and you see that all four of them talk about the crucifixion. And not only do they talk about it, but they spend chapter after chapter talking about it. We were talking in our high school Sunday school class this morning about the fact that, you know, the Gospels are, you know, 20 or, or, you know, maybe a little bit more chapters long or, or slightly shorter, whatever. And they spend six, seven, eight, nine chapters talking about the last week of Jesus' life. It's crucial, the stuff that goes on culminating, of course, in the cross. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you'd open to Mark chapter 15, we're going to look at that. Mark chapter 15, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 852 and uh, 853. And so that's where we're going to be reading today. We're going to pick up the account in Mark chapter 15. We're going to read verses 6 through 39, 6 through 39. So we're going to skip over some of the trials. Jesus was arrested Under false pretenses, he was tried at night when it was illegal to do so, but he was tried. We're going to skip all those trials, and we're going to focus on just these verses from 6 through 39 of Mark chapter 15. So join me. Now at the feast, he used to release, he, that is Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. the king of the Jews. And they cried out again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And They compelled a passerby, Simon the Cyrene, who was coming in from the country And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. That's a sobering passage, and that's only one piece. If you turn to the other Gospels, there's more to read, and there are different details in the different accounts. There are the trials that came before, and there are things that come after, and it's a sobering and painful thing to read, especially when you think about the fact that Jesus was entirely innocent. If they did that to me, I have guilt. I have guilt. And so it wouldn't be quite as heinous. But they did it to him, the innocent one. And so it has special power for us. And we're going to turn and look this morning at uh, what Jesus suffered. What Jesus suffered. Well, first of all, as we read through that, probably one of the first things that stood out to you is the pain of physical torture and death. The physical pain he experienced would have been horrific. That kind of death was, was the worst death that people could come up with the most agonizing and that's what they subjected him to what he suffered in his body first of all the crown of thorns that they wove together and the thorns that are on that crown are two three four inches long they made a crown out of it and they pieced it together and then they stuck it on his head and they started hitting him on the head and so those crowns would have pierced the the flesh and and fired off those nerve endings in his head and around his face and it would have contorted his face horrific. The pain would have been terrible. It would have been visible. And the scourging would have ripped and torn most of the flesh, most of the skin off of his back. And then after that he had to pick up his cross and carry it with that back. The process of being crucified involved nails being driven through his hands, probably his wrists somewhere here, and his feet to hold him up there. And as he's hanging there on the cross, the only way he has to breathe is to lift with his hands as he's extended, to lift with his hands, to try and open his chest cavity up a little bit to be able to inhale and exhale properly. Your arms get tired pretty quickly, so you start using your legs. Remember, these are anchored by nails. This was the worst kind of death that they could come up with. And it was very often it lasted days. It was death by suffocation, and it would hurt to pull yourself up, and it would hurt to breathe, and you wouldn't want to do it again. But the urge to breathe again would force you to push and pull and breathe again, sometimes for days. And that's why the Jews wanted to break legs in this situation, because the next day was a high day, and they didn't want to have bodies hanging around and suffering going on. It would have been against their law, and so they were going to break their legs so that they would be unable to lift themselves with their legs to breathe again. And if you've seen movies about the crucifixion, you've, you have pictures of this in your mind. And it's interesting when you read the gospel accounts, sometime read, read them all, and you'll see that they don't focus on that piece. They say, and they crucified him. And all of that stuff is in the back of their minds. And if you've seen The Passion of the Christ or some other such movie, you have those things in your mind. Well, the people who received these Gospels and the ones who wrote them had seen people executed this way. And all of those pictures would have immediately appeared in mind when they read and they crucified him. Oh, I remember what that was like. I saw that that time when it, they would have been able to bring it to mind and it was it was dark. So there's the pain of physical torture and death, but that's, that's not where... The gospel writers focus. And that's not where we're going to focus today. So first there's that pain, physical pain. But there's also, secondly, the pain of bearing sin. The pain of bearing sin. Listen to what Isaiah says about this. Isaiah 53. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53.6. The Lord took our iniquity and piled it on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, the one without sin, the one who had never sinned, had always been obedient, had always been holy in every step of his life from the beginning until this point. He had always fully honored God in every thought, in every word, and in every deed. And my iniquity gets put on him. My sin gets put on him. And he had to bear that. One of the marks of growing as a Christian is that we come to hate sin. Hate it. Our own sin disgusts us. And Jesus hated it far more than we hate it. And not only was a sin put on him. Not only was the sin of one person put on him, but the sin of the world was piled on him. Imagine the revulsion All of that put on him, the one who knew no sin, the one who hated sin ultimately, hated it like you and I will not understand. And your sin and my sin and the sins of the world were piled on him. Imagine that. Jesus' suffering was more than just physical. It was more than just what was going on on the cross, more than just the physical things that you could look at. But he also had the evil, hateful, stinking, disgusting pile of sin from you and from me and from the world piled on him, the one who knew no sin. The pain of bearing our sin would have been nearly unbearable. But there's more. There's also the pain of abandonment. Pain of abandonment. Jesus had told his disciples ahead of time that uh, there would be a time when he would be stricken and they would scatter. That was Old Testament prophecy. He told them that would happen. Of course, they denied it. Especially Peter. Never happened. I will stick with you to the end. Never happened. And while he was going through his trials, what did Peter do? Denied him. Not once. Not twice, but three times. And left cursing bitterly. I don't, I don't know the man, Peter said. I don't even know who that is. What, what are you talking about? Utter denial. Utter abandonment by his friends. All of his disciples Uh, And one one way or another, one point or another, left him. John hung around and watched. But he was alone. They deserted him. Being left by his friends, being left by his disciples was one thing. But he was abandoned by his Father. Here is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who has existed for eternity in perfect fellowship with the Father forever. Forever. And while he was on the cross, he would look and say to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's abandonment there. God hates sin. And when he piled it on Jesus, in a sense, God turned away from Jesus. And that fellowship was, was broken. Imagine the pain. We, we can't imagine the pain. Eternity of perfect fellowship with the Father. The best fellowship that can, that can exist an eternity of that, and because of my sin placed on him, it's broken. That would have been horrific, horrific pain for him to bear that loss. And there's more. Fourthly, there's the pain of bearing God's wrath. By its very nature and because of the holiness of God, sin incurs God's wrath. Every sin incurs wrath from God. And God, as the righteous judge, must dispense his wrath for the evil of sin. He can hold on to it, but eventually it has to be dispensed. If God never leveled his full wrath upon sin, he would no longer be righteous. He would no longer be a just judge. And so he's storing up that wrath. Romans 3 23 through 26. Flip over there if you would, please. Romans chapter 3. This passage is worth underlining, meditating upon, memorizing. There's so much truth bound up in this passage. Romans chapter 3. You guys, probably most of you know Romans three twenty-three. So I'm on page 941 if you're using a pew Bible. This passage is incredible. Starting just half a verse before. For there is no distinction. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. See, God God must dispense the wrath that he's been storing up or else he's unrighteous. And so this was done to show God's righteousness. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That word propitiation there, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But that idea of propitiation is someone stepping in to bear the wrath of God. You see, your sin and my sin has piled up wrath from God, righteous, just indignation, wrath, fury from God against our sin. And God has graciously stored it up. He's graciously stored it up for thousands of years. He's holding on to it. He's holding on to it. But there must come a time when he dispenses it or else he is no longer just. He's no longer righteous. And so rather than sending that upon me, rather than visiting his wrath upon you, Jesus stepped in. And on the cross, he made an offering of himself to bear that wrath, the wrath of God, the wrath of God that I deserve and that you deserve because of our sin. Jesus, who did not deserve it. And he stepped in and he bore that wrath. We're going to come back to propitiation, but the pain of bearing God's wrath. When he deserved none of it, when he hated that sin just as much as the father did. And yet he took it upon himself and God's wrath was poured on him would have been unimaginable. Unimaginable. And that would have been the greatest of the pains that he experienced that day. Bearing God's wrath. It went went on so long that he would eventually say, My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what was going on. He wasn't saying, Why am I in this terrible spot? He was saying, Lord, this is taking forever. It feels like forever. And it started at 9 o'clock in the morning, and it finished at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was forever, it felt like, long enough for Jesus to cry out, Why have you forsaken me, God? It wasn't the beating. It wasn't the pierced hands and feet. It wasn't anything physical or even psychological that would have been the most painful thing that Jesus went through here. It was becoming the object of God's wrath for the sin of the world. And he bore it fully. That's what Jesus suffered. That's what Jesus suffered when he was on the cross. And well, let's look at what Jesus accomplished. We're going to move on. And we're going to think about what what some of the significance for us about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And I'm going to use some big words that that eggheads use that that we're going to explain and talk about. And you're going to be able to use them just like an egghead, too. OK, the first one is justification. What did Jesus accomplish, accomplish on the cross? First of all, was justification. Justification is when we are declared righteous before God. We are we are declared to be righteous by him. It's a legal term. It pictures God as the judge and he's rendering a verdict. Okay, And the verdict he renders is not guilty because of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, God is a good and just judge. We talked about that. He can't just drop the charges. Yeah, you did this terrible thing. I'm just going to forget about it. That's a corrupt judge. Right, such, a, such a judge wouldn't, wouldn't stay in his position very long. He'd end up in jail. You don't just drop things because you want to as a judge. And God is a just judge. He can't just drop charges uh, or render any old verdict he wants. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was to make it possible for us to be declared righteous by God. And yet at the same time, God remain righteous. And that's because of Jesus because of the offering that he made, because of our faith in him. Listen to Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified, it's a biblical term. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus going to the cross for us, paying the penalty for our sins, makes it so that God can look at us, can look on him, look on him, and pardon us. That's incredible that, I, that, that there could be a, a, a not guilty verdict rendered on me, the guilty party. And that's because the, the wrath of God, the, the, the payment for my penalty was paid by Jesus so that God could look on him and pardon me. I love that song and I love that truth. That's amazing. And that's the central piece of the gospel is that justification that God could not just look and say, ah, forget about it. Don't worry about your sin. Right? Imagine, imagine if some horrible crime had, had been done against you. And you go to court and the evidence is all against the culprit. You know he did it. The judge knows he did it. And the judge says, ah, forget about it. indignation that's unjust that is wrong that would infuriate that would drive you nuts if that happened how much more so with righteous God but he found a way by sending Jesus to pay the penalty to step in and take our place that he could be declared guilty that he could pay the full penalty and that we could be set free justification it's crucial we hold on to that It's crucial that we understand like Galatians 2.16 just said that a person is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only offering to be justified. That's the only offering to be declared not guilty before God. It's the only way to be right before God. I want to keep looking at this idea of justification. I want to break it down into its parts. And so we're going to use some other some other uh, theological terms the first one was justification the second one here is redemption 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 is our deliverance from the penalty of sin at the cost of jesus life deliverance means you know being set free redemption means to be to be set free to be uh, delivered at a cost and the cost was jesus own life we deserve the horrible, horrible penalty for our sin. And he took that penalty and he put it on Jesus. Jesus gave his own life for us. And had he not paid the price, then you and I would still be bound to pay for that ourselves. But he redeemed us. He bought us back. He set us free at a huge price. We talk about free grace. We talk about salvation being free. And it is. Oh, but it's expensive. It came at the price of Jesus Himself giving up his own life. Listen to Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life to ransom you and to ransom me. So secondly was redemption, third, propitiation. Probably not a word we use much in conversation, but it's biblical and it's, a, it's an important theological point. We talked about it just a little bit in regards to justification. But the one more thing that I want to point out regarding propitiation is what it does. Remember, that's, that's an offering that's made to bear the wrath or to take away the wrath of God. Uh, I always have this picture in my mind of a secret service agent jumping in front of the bullet. And taking the bullet that I deserve. It's coming at me. It's on its way. And it's the wrath of God. I've deserved it. And Jesus steps in and and takes the thing for me. But there's there's another aspect of it. The fact is that propitiation means Jesus bears that wrath to such a degree that God has no more wrath towards me. He actually now is propitious towards me. Meaning he has favor towards me. Whereas he had wrath before, he spilled it out so fully on Jesus that the only thing he has left for me is favor. He has no more wrath for me. And that's how we can read, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because all of that wrath has already been poured fully on Jesus. And he bore it all the way to the end. And he bore it to such an extent that it's entirely spent and God has nothing left for you but favor because the wrath has been poured on Jesus. And so that's another thing that he accomplished on the cross was not just redemption, but propitiation. Full, complete, utter, to the end, propitiation. So that may not be a word that we know, but it's a word we need to value. Because otherwise, I, I would still bear God's wrath. He might still have some left, but no. Jesus bore it all the way to the end. Listen to 1 John 4.10 in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins he he stepped in and took the bullet of god's wrath that i deserve and he bore it all the way to the end so that god has nothing left for me but favor so not just not just justification redemption propitiation but now finally imputation imputation is our fourth, fourth point there a final uh, key, and final piece of this whole thing and understanding this is imputation and what imputation means. It deals with the fact that because of our faith in Christ, Jesus on the cross bore our sins, meaning my sins and the guilt of my sins were imputed to Him. So that it was as if He had those sins and that Uh, penalty on his account and he had to bear it though it was mine and in return by faith I get a clean slate because my sin was imputed to him and he paid the price for it but it's more than that I don't just get a clean slate his righteousness his life of righteousness of always being obedient to God that's in his account he takes that and imputes that to me So that's credited to my account. So all of the guilt, all of my sin, all of the that payment that I owe, that penalty has been put on him. And I receive not only forgiveness as if I have, you know, went from a debt to a zero balance, but all of his righteousness is imputed to me. That is amazing, because now I can be considered righteous before God because of because of what Jesus has done, because of. Me trusting in him, what what he's done, he's imputed my sin and the penalty of it to him. And he's given me not only forgiveness, but his righteousness. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing imputation is. Listen again to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no fairness here, and we should rejoice. God looked on him and pardoned us. And he attributes righteousness to us from Jesus' account. This salvation, this what Jesus accomplished on the cross is incredible. There is no better news ever anywhere. This is the best thing to hear. So what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? Well, I could go a million ways with this. I sat down with some junior hires last night and we talked about what Jesus wants and we made a list of about 20 things and it took us about six minutes. What does Jesus want? Well, let's, let's narrow it down with regard to Jesus on the cross. What does Jesus want? Well, first of all, he wants us to repent. He started off his message at the beginning of the Gospels with repent. He was warning the people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and repent is a a biblical word and it means to turn away from. We were walking this direction. We were valuing our sin and he wants us to repent and turn away from that. Is there something more valuable? Oh, man, what we've been talking about today is incredibly impossibly more valuable. Salvation in Christ, eternal life, free from God. That's what we get when we turn away, when we repent of our sins and turn to him. So the first thing he wants from us is to repent, to repent from our sins. What, what satisfaction, what, what lasting satisfaction do we get from our sins? We don't, right? It, 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 it doesn't pay, right? It offers something great and then it spoils every time. And yet we go back to it and we go back to it. Let's repent from our sins. Maybe. Maybe that, that sin is a false religion, a false God. An understanding about who God is that's not from the Bible and is inconsistent, is not true, would be considered a, an idol in biblical terms. We definitely need to turn away from that, repent of that, turn from that. Maybe part of what we need to repent from is self-reliance, right? Because I'm a pretty good guy. Surely God wouldn't uh, wouldn't judge a guy like me. I mean, I'm better than so-and-so and... And I'm a, I'm a good guy. My mom likes me, right? Sure to God wouldn't judge me. A self-reliance. It's deadly. And it's everywhere in our culture. And it's everywhere in my heart. And we need to repent of that. Jesus wants us to repent of all of those things. And secondly, believe. So... It's the same coin and it spins. So repentance means to turn away from our sin, turn away from our false gods, our, our, our false idols, turn away from our self-reliance and turn towards God. Believe. That act of repenting and turning to God is that act of believing, trusting in Him. It's the flip side of the same coin. Jesus makes such an offering. Such an offering for us. And how do we receive it? What do you have to do? What hoops do you have to jump through? Well, there are no no hoops. I'm going to read read what the Apostle John said in chapter 1 and verse 12 of his gospel. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Faith. Faith. Trusting in him, believing in him, looking to him, realizing in this whole thing, all that we've talked about with all that goes on with God's justice and righteousness and the wrath that I deserve because of my sin, realizing in that whole equation, what's my only escape? What's my only way to have eternal life? That offering that he made. That's my only hope. That's all I've got. And I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to look to him. I'm going to trust in him because I can't do it myself And I'm not getting it somewhere else. It's impossible. But from him, I will look to him and I will trust in him. And when Satan tempts me to despair, I'll look to him. I'll look to him. I'll look to him. Believe. Jesus wants us to believe in him. And thirdly, he wants us to be justified in him. To be justified in him. In short, Jesus wants us all To receive this whole package that we've been talking about. To be justified. His death on the cross provides the opportunity for the forgiveness of your sins. It's the only opportunity for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's what he offers. It provides the opportunity for you to be credited with his righteousness. And that's the only way that's going to happen. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath that you have earned by your sin against God. Without the cross, you bear that wrath yourself in eternity in hell. Those are the two alternatives. And he offers you such a gift, and he wants you to be justified in him. He wants it badly enough that he was willing to go to the cross and endure the things that we've talked about today so that we could be justified. Many of us hearing this are Christians. We believe this. This should raise us to a place of worship in our own hearts. We should be worshiping right now, and as we leave, we should be worshiping, just amazed at God's goodness to us that He would do such a thing, that Jesus would be willing to endure such a thing as the cross to deliver such a gift to us. What an amazing thing. But not all of us know Jesus. And so I implore you, this is your only option. There is no other way. And what better gift could there possibly be? So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. I'm about to go to prayer. And as I do, you'll see there's a fourth blank on your sheet there. Maybe the Lord has been telling you what he wants you to do. I don't know what that is. And if you already know what it is, write it down. If you don't know yet, ask him while I'm praying and then write it down. Jesus might want you to do. Where do you fit in this? What does he have for you? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Jesus, we worship you. We adore you. We praise you. We lift you up and we say that there is no one greater than you. We say that there is no gift greater than the gift that we've talked about today. We say that there is no way for us to be declared right before god except you and we rejoice and we praise you and we give you thanks lord we we love you and we are humbled by such a gift i pray that each one in here would be humbled by such a gift and would run to jesus as the only way to be free from the guilt of our sin the only way to be made right right with you I pray that each one here would have Christ, that they would get to know Jesus in this way, that they would experience Him, know Him, walk with Him, that they would have the joy of receiving this gift and living their lives in this gift. What an amazing thing. We rejoice and we praise You. Lord, show us now what You might have us do. I I don't know what each one in here um, has has heard from You exactly. Um, I don't know where each one is in their own hearts. But I pray, Lord, that You would show them what's the next... Maybe, maybe they need to repent of their sin. Maybe they need to, to trust in You. Be justified. Maybe they need to tell their dear ones about this. Maybe they just need to worship You. And not be overcome by the strains and stresses of this world or the temptations it offers, but instead rejoice in knowing You and and celebrate the greatest gift... I don't know, but Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one. Lord, what an amazing, amazing, incredible gift is Jesus dying for us on the cross. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment and write down what that was. I I don't know what that was or if you heard anything, but do that. And let's go in fellowship with one another worshiping God even as we do that. You're dismissed and God bless you.